Hey, good morning. Glad to see you guys this morning. Thank you for joining us here and online. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Before I introduce the one who will be preaching today, I want to make a special announcement to you. Over the years, God has been so, so good and so faithful to Bridgewater Church. He has blessed us with allowing us to take part in seeing people's lives change, and he's even blessed us financially in ways that are hard to describe. And this year, once again, we are going to ask him to do some big things. I want to talk to you about our vision, uh, our vision-giving opportunity coming this year. We have a goal. We want to see $500,000 in addition to our regular budget raised toward multiplication. We are excited about, again, what God has done, and we think that he is not finished. And so let me describe to you quickly what we are asking God to do. We are asking him to bring in half a million dollars towards multiplication, specifically in three areas. One would be around $50,000 toward raising up additional ministry leaders. You see Joel Kessler here week by week. You've seen other interns uh, come through here, and we we love pouring into the next generation. In fact, they are our current and future leaders in the church, and so we want to put some money behind those efforts. We want to raise another $50,000 toward new campus launch funds. We don't think God is finished with us yet. We think that God has given us a mission and a voice that is needed in this region, in this area, and we are eagerly praying about where God would have us go next, but we want to get that started as well. And then the third item, the big ticket item, really is $400,000 toward the purchase and renovation of a, of a new facility for our Tunkhannock campus. They're currently operating at 118% capacity on Sunday mornings. So they're more than full. Next week, they launch a third service to help handle this growth. So it's very exciting what God is doing. It's not simply people coming, but their lives are being changed as well. And every single time uh, when God began to multiply Bridgewater from one location to more locations, every campus has gotten behind that effort. And it's, it's been their privilege and joy to give toward that. Even if you're joining us online, we had a campaign like this. And the reason we have online is because of something like this. And so we want to get behind these efforts. So here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to pray. What might God have you give toward this initiative? Some of us will be able to give from excess, from, from funds that we had maybe designated for something else. Others of us will have to give through sacrifice. What, whatever it is, we think that God is going to do something big. And so we are asking him for something big. We're asking him to help us raise $500,000 toward these efforts. So would you pray? Would you talk it over with your family? If you're married, talk it over with your spouse and see how you might be positioned to be excited about what you could give toward these efforts. I'm going to ask Adam Morrill to come up. He's going to be preaching today. He's on staff at our Tunkhannock campus. Adam himself was a Bridgewater intern, and uh, we loved him so much, we asked him to stay. So uh, he's here today. Would you help me welcome Adam Morrill? Hey, thank you, Josh. Well, good morning, Montrose campus and everybody here online. Yeah, like Josh said, my name is Adam. Normally, I'm serving at our Tunkhannock campus this morning, I have the privilege to be with you all, and last time I was here, I showed you all some pictures from my engagement, and now this morning, I stand here as a married man. Yeah. I've been married for a whole three weeks, so I'm basically an expert on marriage at this point. 
But I really had a great wedding day. Here's the one picture that we got back from our wedding so far. And all throughout the day of our wedding, I was telling Gabby, this is the best wedding that I've ever been a part of. And I think I was a little bit biased because it was my own wedding. And honestly speaking, the best part of that wedding day was getting into our little Kia Soul and zipping out of there and leaving any of everybody else behind us because we had a place to be. And all my life, I had wanted to go out to California. I have never been out west before. The furthest out west I've ever been was Kentucky. So if that gives you any idea of how far I've gone. And so we went to Yosemite National Park, or as I heard somebody else call it, Yosemite National Park. <laughs> but it was like living the dream. I got to see all those rock cliffs. Where if you've ever seen any rock climbing documentaries, that's where people are climbing. And I'm a huge fan, so I love seeing the rocks, the trees, and just taking in the amazing scenery there. So that was like the first part of our honeymoon. And then our game plan for the second part of our honeymoon was to go to the California beaches. Now, if you've been to California and the beaches before, you know what they are like. I did not, and I did not do my research. And so in my mind, I was thinking they'd be like Florida beaches. And besides that, like we went just a few weeks ago, and the rest of the state was like a desert. And so I figured these beaches would be hot. Boy, was I wrong. Those beaches were cold. And uh, like I pictured myself laying on a towel, basking in the sun. No joke, we were in a sleeping bag, freezing like this on the first time we went to the beach. And we're like, we need a, a different plan for the rest of this week. Like, that's not going to fly. And so we got to check out some other things, got to see the Golden Gate Bridge and go to these underground gardens. And so it was a pretty cool, packed out week. Flew back home, and it felt like we needed a vacation to recover from our vacation, which sounds pretty wimpy, but thankfully, I had the next week off of work. And so we just kind of moved into the house together, got our lives established, and it felt like for a whole two weeks, we were just living in our own little world. It was kind of like an isolated bubble of just us. And really, we would just talk to each other, and we didn't have a lot of social interactions with other people. And then our student aligned training was on the Friday after we had gotten back from our honeymoon. And we're like, you ready to be social? Like, no. <laughs> so we honestly practiced having conversations with each other as if we were talking to people at church because we had been out of it for so long. And there was a part of me that almost didn't want to go back to real life. Like I was thinking about the fall and small groups starting up. And I know I, I want to get involved more in the community and build relationships with people invite people over to the house, be involved in church ministry, and, which is also my job. And there's part of me that's like, ah, I, don't, I don't really want to go back to that. But then there's the other part of me that remembers why I do all of that, why I serve in church, and why I care about taking the message of Jesus to other people. And that's because Jesus has changed my life. And it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around the kind of person that I would be if Jesus had not changed my life. If I just imagine a little bit, if I didn't have Jesus in my life, I would just be chasing after my selfish ambitions. I would just want a job that made a lot of money so I could have a big house and a Toyota Tacoma. Now, if you have a Toyota Tacoma, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like, I respect it. 
But I know for me, those things would take the place of God in my life, and I would just be trying to fill this hole in my heart with material things, and that's a hole that's only meant to be filled by Jesus. And if Jesus hadn't changed my life, my life would probably be full of so many ruined relationships. Like, I would not be married to an awesome girl who is also passionate about following Jesus a lot of my relationships would probably have traces of bitterness and unforgiveness or me just kind of trampling over people to meet my selfish desires. If my life wasn't changed by Jesus, then I wouldn't have my sins forgiven by him in the hope of being with God in heaven for all of eternity. Just yesterday, I got back from my great-grandma's funeral, and while she was in the hospital, she would tell people, I just want to go home. And she wasn't talking about leaving the hospital. She was talking about being with God in heaven because her life had been changed by Jesus and she had that kind of hope. And that's the kind of hope that I want for everyone. And I want to take the message of Jesus to other people because Jesus has changed my life. And I could go on and on about how my life is different because of Jesus. But I just say all of that because many of you in this room, your life has also been changed by Jesus. And if, if we don't have this passion in our lives, it's so easy to just want to take the comfortable path, to just kind of go through the motions and make life about whatever is easy for us. That's really what I felt for those two weeks when I was on my honeymoon. But then on the flip side of things, without this passion for Jesus... We can still go through the motions of doing things for God, kind of like out of guilt or obligation. Well, I signed up for this small group, so I guess I have to go every single week. Or Pastor Bob keeps talking about inviting people to church. Let me invite somebody to church for Pastor Bob. And so my hope for all of us is that we would really have a passion for taking the message of Jesus to other people because of what Jesus has done in our own lives. And so this morning, we'll be turning to a book of the Bible and a passage that talks about two of Jesus' disciples who were just on fire for Jesus, and they had a passion for seeing lives changed by Jesus. So if you want to follow along with me, you can turn to Acts chapter 3. And we'll also have the scripture up here on the screen. And the book of Acts is all about the events that take place after Jesus goes up to heaven. And before Jesus went up to heaven, he told his disciples to spread out all over the place and to make disciples of all nations. And so that's what's going on in this passage, is the disciples of Jesus are spread out all over the place. And this is how the church starts up. So let's go ahead and read in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So we have this character in the story, and he is a lame man. Ever since the time he was born, he's not able to walk. And back in biblical days, there was no such thing as collecting a disability check. And so if you're not able to work, and you basically have to make a full-time career of begging, and your take-home pay is dependent on the sympathy of other people, and thankfully this man in this story had friends who would take him to the temple gate where there would be a lot of people passing through. And Peter and John just happened to be a couple of these people passing by this beggar. Now, if I'm totally honest with you, if I was Peter or John, and I was on my way to the temple, like I had some place to be, and I didn't have any money with me, I'd probably catch a glimpse of this guy out of the corner of my eye, and I'd be like, don't make eye contact. Just keep walking. we got places to be. And if I make eye contact with him and I can't give him anything, that would be super awkward, so just, just keep moving forward. And Peter and John could have focused on what they didn't have. They could have focused on the fact that they didn't have any money. Or they could have just focused on the fact that they had some place to be. And so if they stopped for this man, that he would be an inconvenience. But instead, they focused on what they did have. Something that they had with them wherever they went. And that was the power of God in the message of Jesus. And so they didn't look at this man as an inconvenience. Instead, they stopped and they said, in the name of Jesus, walk. And they healed this man. And it wasn't through their own power. Like Peter and John, they don't have any crazy superpowers or anything like that. But it was the power of God that gave this man the ability to walk. And maybe you're a little skeptical about that. Like you've never seen anybody else just who was lame from birth, be able to walk again without any kind of surgery or anything like that. This really is a miracle, but I believe that miracles were a lot more common back in this time when the church was starting up again. And that was because the disciples were taking the message of Jesus around the world. And that was a new message. But when God gave them the power to do miracles, it gave credibility to their message. And so when people would see a lame man walking again, they'd be like, how did that happen? And then the disciples would have the chance to talk to them about Jesus, and they would believe the message of Jesus because they're looking at the power of Jesus right there. And so that's exactly what happens in this situation. There's whole crowds of people see this lame man walking and skipping and praising God, and they're like, didn't we just see him at the gate? Or I've known this guy since he was like five years old, and he's always been a cripple. And so all these crowds of people are gathering together to hear from Peter and John as they talk to them about the message of Jesus. And I think that Peter and John set a really good example for us here. And that is God calls us to invest in people who are far from God. And every stage of life that I go through, it just keeps hitting me harder and harder that investing in other people is almost always super inconvenient. Like it feels like my life is moving 100 miles an hour and there's so much busyness. 
And I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one in the room who feels this way. Maybe you work a full-time job or you're taking care of kids and you're looking forward to retirement. You're like, yes, then I will get a break. And then you talk to anybody who's retired and they say, being retired is just being tired all over again. And it seems like we're never just handed time with God saying, all right, use this time to go invest in other people. That time usually comes as a sacrifice amidst so many busy things going on. But I had this gut check just about a little over a month ago. And so I moved to Tunkhannock back in January. I moved onto this little lane with two other houses. And this was like a tight-knit community. And right from day one that I moved in, my one neighbor stopped by to welcome me there. But my other neighbor, I didn't get the chance to meet right away. And all along, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I really need to reach my neighbors for Jesus. But I'll get to that later. So then one month goes by. I still haven't reached out to my other neighbors. Then a second month goes by. I don't know for sure. It might have been three months before my neighbors up the road took the initiative to come to me to welcome me to the area. And I felt so bad. Like, I apologized that I hadn't connected with them sooner. And so I was just focusing on the chance I would have from then on to connect with my neighbors. And a big connection point for us is that my neighbors had two dogs, and I had a dog. And my dog is a real stinker. He's like this big, and he thinks he can take on the biggest, baddest dogs. And he's so bad with other dogs. But thankfully, my neighbors are very gracious. And so my one neighbor is like, you know what? We should walk the dogs together and get him used to the other dogs. And I don't really care about walking my dog. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But I was like, you know what? I want to reach my neighbor for Jesus, and so I should make this a priority. And so we scheduled a time to walk the dogs, and we got rained out. And so I kept thinking, all right, I'll schedule time later. Some other time, I'll have these connections. And this, I kept putting it off and putting it off and not really making time to talk to my neighbor about Jesus or investing in my neighbor. And then not too long ago, I got a phone call from my other neighbor and found out that my neighbor with the dogs was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance with a really bad brain tumor. And this is the same kind of brain tumor that was fatal for her mother. And they didn't even know if she would make it home from the hospital. And it just hit me like a kick to the gut. Like, what if I never have the opportunity to talk to her about Jesus? I kept telling myself, I'll do it later. I'll do it some other time. And it finally hit me. Maybe that later would never come. And so I wish that I had invested in my neighbor more right from the start, even though I was so busy. I wish that I had followed the example of Peter and John in this passage and just made time for her. Now, I'm going to press pause on this story, and we're going to get back into the passage and just see again what Peter and John are up to. So Peter and John, they're talking to all these crowds of people about Jesus, and there was a certain group of people who did not like what they were doing. And this group of people was called the Sadducees. 
And they did not believe that Jesus was the chosen one of God or the Savior of the world. And so they believed that Peter and John were spreading false teaching, and they didn't want to have any of that. And so they had Peter and John thrown into prison, and they spent the night in prison. And then we're going to turn all the way to chapter 4 and pick up in verse 5. And so this is after they spent a night in prison. It says, The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Now all these people gathering in this room to put Peter and John on trial are some pretty high-ranking people. These are the rulers. These are, this is the high priest. So Peter and John are on the hot seat. Like today's equivalent would be like being on trial by the president, the pope, and the governor. And so the pressure is on for Peter and John. And if I was John in this situation, I would have been like, hey, Peter, here's the game plan. We're just going to smile and nod, make this as painless as possible. Let's just get out of here. Like We can go back to preaching about Jesus later, but like let's not cause a ruckus here. But let's go ahead and look at this passage and see what Peter and John actually do. In verse 7, it says, They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And here's their question. By what power or what name did you do this? And I can just imagine Peter and John giving each other this look like, You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Because there is no way that they could be asked about the power of that miracle and not talk about Jesus. They weren't about to just smile and nod or just give some super ambiguous or chill answer. Like the people in that room were probably people who believed in God. And they could have just said, God gave us the power. And that wouldn't have caused much of a ruckus. But they weren't on trial because they believed in God. They were on trial there because they believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world and that he is the only way to salvation. And so when they are asked about where this power comes from, they use this as an opportunity to talk to these people about Jesus. And so that's what we see in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And Peter and John are holding nothing back. They look these guys in the eyes and they say, you are the ones to crucify Jesus, the Savior of the world. And they're not just being so bold to like smack down and rub it in their face, but they're laying out for these people the plan of salvation and it's because they care for them. The people sitting there in that room were on a course of life 
that would lead them to spend the rest of eternity in separation from God. And Peter and John didn't want that for them. Even the people who had them on trial, they had a heart to invite those people to come to God. And that's the example that they set for us this morning. And I believe that we are called to invite people to come to God. I think there's a bunch of practical ways that we can do this in our lives. For Peter and John, it was answering that question and not just giving the easy answer or trying to escape it, but using that question as an opportunity to talk to these people about Jesus. And I think that for a lot of us here in this room, we probably don't have to find more people to talk to about Jesus. Most of us probably have several conversations with several people every single day. And what if, what if we were able to just guide some of the conversations that we are already having with people to talk to them about Jesus? And I know some people who are really good at this. Like they could run into anybody at Walmart and talk to them about Jesus, and it's a super chill conversation. I know for me, I'm scared that the conversation will feel super awkward and super forced. Be like, hey, what's your name? What's your favorite color? What's your deepest struggle? And do you want to know about Jesus? And for them to be like, whoa. And sometimes we can get caught between the extremes of shove Jesus down somebody's throat or not have a conversation at all. But I do think that there can be some good ways that we can just have conversation with people in our everyday lives and turn those conversations to the topic of Jesus in a way that isn't super awkward or super forced. And something that I heard recently that really stood out to me is that when you're talking to people, to focus on listening. Like listen to somebody else's heart and then share your heart. And in sharing your heart, share the heart of God. And I can say that I've had my fair share of super awkward conversations that have felt really forced. But some of the best conversations that I've had with people is when I've just listened to them and I've let them share their opinions. And I, even if I don't agree with their opinions, I'm not trying to start an argument or something, but I'm, I respect them and what they believe in. And then after they've been able to share their heart, oftentimes they'll ask me, what do you believe in? Or what are you passionate about? And this gives me the opportunity to talk to them about what Jesus has done in my life. And if your life has been changed by Jesus, then you are a walking testimony of what God can do. In this story, we talked about a lame man who had the ability to walk and jump again. And we can look at that and say, that's the power of God. But if your life has been changed by Jesus then that is also a display of the power of God. And maybe that means we can take the message of Jesus to other people, even just by telling them our stories and pointing to our lives as an example of the power of God. So that's one way that we can invite people to come to God. I think another way that we can do this is to invite people to church. We've got these little invite cards on our seats, and Inviting people to church is not just about inviting them to fill a seat on a Sunday morning. I know sometimes it can feel like that, but this isn't so that Pastor Bob can have the biggest church in all of Montrose. 
This is inviting people to sit under the teaching and the word of God, to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. It may be a simple invitation to somebody who can make all the difference in their life. Now, I want to get back to the story that I had earlier about my neighbor with a brain tumor. So I thank God that she was able to come home from the hospital. She had a brain surgery. And I had the opportunity to go to her house and visit her. And I'm sitting across from her trying to talk to her because after this surgery, she had trouble forming words. Uh, She could get out a few words here and there, but she was using a lot of hand signals and such. And she was trying to explain something to me. And I had trouble figuring out what she was trying to say. But like deep down inside, I almost knew what she was trying to tell me. And so just taking a shot in the dark, I'm like, are you trying to tell me that you placed your faith in Jesus for salvation? She said, yes. I was like, wow. And so after talking to her about that a little bit more, I opened up the Bible on my phone and read some verses about the hope of being with Jesus when we die. Because when she came home from the hospital, she was told that she only had two months left to live. But in that conversation with her, she told me that she has peace. That peace comes from Jesus. And we also opened up to John 3.16 and a few verses after that. I read that to her. And just to be sure, I'm like, is this what you believe? She said, yes. And I'm not a super emotional person usually, but that was like bringing me to tears. And I just apologized to her. I told her, When I heard that you were taken to the hospital in an ambulance, I felt so bad that I had not talked to you about Jesus. And I I had all these good intentions to talk to you about Jesus, but I just let busyness get in the way of that. And and so I asked her for forgiveness, and I, I prayed with her. And that moment was a reminder to me that God can save people and do a work in people's lives with or without my help. Like, God is bigger than that. But I want so badly to be a part of what God is doing in other people's lives. And I don't know why God has given me this story. Like, I don't know why my neighbor has to go through this terminal cancer. I don't know why I have to just give you a bad example of me not making time for my neighbor. But maybe... God can use this story in your life because maybe you can think of somebody who does not yet have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe your life is just filled with busyness and there's so much else going on. But if your life has been changed by Jesus, wouldn't you like to see God do that same work in somebody else's life? And so I just want to wrap things up this morning with this final challenge for us. And that is to think about that one person in your life that you would just love to see God do a work in, to see them come to faith in Jesus. And my challenge for you is to pray for them. Pray for them on a regular basis. And then to reach out to somebody else who is a Christian and ask them to pray for your friend or coworker or whoever it is that you want to see come to faith in Jesus. And not only ask your friend to pray for their salvation, but to pray that you would have the boldness and the opportunities to talk to that person about Jesus or to invite them to church. 
and to ask your friend to follow up with you and to be like, hey, how are you doing with praying for that person or making the most of opportunities to reach them with the gospel? And I really believe that God can use us to be a part of the difference in other people's lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have done so much for us, far more than we could ever deserve. Like to get to know you is such a privilege, even in this life. To get to know you for the rest of eternity, I can't even wrap my mind around it. And God, I ask that all of us here today, like if our lives have been changed by Jesus, that we would not take it for granted, um, that we would not get tired of the work that you've set before us, and that we also wouldn't just do church things out of a sense of guilt. But please stir in us a passion to live for you, to do what you have called us to do, and to see other people come to faith in you, because there is nothing better. And my prayer for everybody here in this room is that we would experience leading somebody else to Jesus and be a part of what you are doing. And God, I just ask for your strength, because we can't do anything alone. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.